Hi, Carmina. Hi, Patch. Hi, listeners. Welcome to Jeepney Trip, a podcast where we explore everything fun, weird, and in-between about the Philippines. A word about our sponsor. Jeepney Trip is sponsored by Soulpack, a functional shoe accessory bag. Its patented design stores your shoes on the sides of your backpack and provides an ergonomic and hygienic means to carry your shoes. Now you can travel hands-free, have more space inside your backpack, and keep your dirty shoes away from everything. Be sure to also check out their string bags and backpacks for more options. Visit thesoulpack.com and enter Jeepney Trip 10 at checkout for a 10% discount. Now back to our show. Today's trip is a food trip where we talk about the evolution of Filipino cuisine and popular Filipino dishes. You know, while researching for this episode, I kind of went down this rabbit hole about why it took so long for Filipino food to gain traction in the U.S. Especially when we are one of the biggest Asian population and one of the earliest It does go back when the Americans occupied us, when they were kind of experimenting with imperialism in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Sadly, they portrayed our food as inferior. And a lot of the characterizations that they made about our food culture is that it was to be quote-unquote saved. Uh (laughs) And that's how a lot of the American ideas about Filipino food came about. So it bred shame in our food. And so even when the Filipinos came to the United States, they very much aspired to assimilate rather than to introduce the American audience to the food. And I guess that shame was passed on from one generation to the next. And that's why you see that the new breed of chefs, a lot of them are Filipino-Americans or came to the U.S. when they were very young. They have this fearlessness about presenting it the way the Filipino food was meant to be eaten. Which I'm really ecstatic about. For example, the dinuguan. When I was younger, I admit to being a little bit ashamed to share it with my Western friends. But in fact, when they do taste it, a lot of them really do enjoy it. Right. That's what I'm trying to instill in my daughter is not to be ashamed of our food and our culture and our history, of course, but specifically food. There's a lot of other cultures that serve blood in their food. Exactly. Right. Obviously, there are certain foods that are iconic Filipino dishes that we're going to talk about. For example, the adobo. Right. Adobo is a really great example of how different this dish could be depending on where you are in the Philippines. So there is this debate about the origins of the dish. Many Filipinos believe that adobo comes from Spain and possibly some aspects of it does. Because in fact, there's this 1800 Spanish recipe book called Libro de Cocina that mentions adobado, Mm -hmm. which is... uh, It's chicken stew, and it's stewed in a combination of nuts, almonds, pears, 
and uh, vinegar-soaked bread added to the dish. Supposedly, that evolved to our version of the adobo. But even during the Spanish colonial times, there are notes that the quinilao was already existing. So the concept of bracing meat in vinegar was already existent in our culture. Mm-hmm. Then, as we know, we had that Chinese influence and we possibly introduced the soy sauce to what we now know as the adobo. So maybe it was a culmination of that Spanish influence, that Asian influence that evolved into adobo, which is really a surprising factoid for me because I always assumed it just came about because of the Spanish colonial heritage. And I actually also saw an adobo that Mm -hmm. is more commonly referred to as a white adobo. (laughs) Have you heard about that? Right. Because it doesn't have any soy sauce. Mm-hmm. And there is a version of it that is more Muslim influence that involves putting turmeric, and that's called the yellow adobo. Right. And then there's that adobo that includes coconut milk. Right. Right. So there's many, many different versions of the adobo. So one time my husband cooked adobo for me. And mm-hmm. when it was done, I was like, this isn't adobo. <laughs> Of course, (laughs) he insisted that it was. So his version is almost like a stew. So adobo can be wet or dry. Right. I didn't know that it could be wet or dry at that time Mm -hmm. because I was very much married, forgive the pun, to my version (laughs) of the adobo, which was dry. Mm -hmm. Plus, his also had a hard-boiled egg in it. Ours does too. Well, my mom makes a couple of versions, and one version has the hard-boiled egg in it. Yeah, I I was not accustomed to our adobos <laughs> in my family. <laughs> Number one with soup or or the egg, so I should have just been grateful. But instead, we um, argued for a little bit whether it could be considered adobo or not. <laughs> Well, interestingly enough, isn't there some kind of controversy now with the adobo? The Philippine government said they're going to standardize the adobo recipe. Why? I guess the point is that it's such an iconic Filipino dish that they want a certain recipe identified with the Filipino. Like to make it a certified adobo, just like the champagne. Yes, (laughs) kind of in that line. But I disagree because... I love that even using the same ingredients, there's still different ways of cooking it. Like you said, there's the dry one, there's the the one with the sauce. So I love that every region, even every family has their own best adobo recipe. So I disagree. I disagree with standardizing it, but that's just me. No, that's so true. Because even my husband and I, when we were discussing the adobo, So I assumed that because his family was from northern Luzon, Mm -hmm. that that was the reason why he prepared the adobo the way he did. And the way I prepare my adobo is more from the southern Luzon area. And he said, well, to confess, he added you know, certain elements to it that weren't in the original (laughs) recipe. So to your point, you can make the adobo your 
very own if you wanted to. <laughs> That's right. Okay, I have a confession. <laughs> My daughter doesn't eat Filipino food that much. And when people ask why, probably has something to do with the way I'm cooking <laughs> the Filipino food. But surprisingly enough, when we eat at Filipino restaurants, she loves Filipino food. <laughs> I think I should send you some cookbooks. <laughs> Girl, I have a hundred. <laughs> oh, Apparently, so it doesn't help. It's a user issue. <laughs> That's right. Speaking of the adobo, we mentioned that there's a lot of different ingredients that can be used to make the adobo, but one thing is constant, and that's the vinegar. So I was just wondering, what are the different types of vinegar we use? Right, because here in the U.S., what's common is the apple cider vinegar. The history of vinegar in general, I didn't realize that it dates back to like 5000 BC mm-hmm. and the first recorded use of vinegar was by the Babylonians they made vinegar out of dates wow yeah i would never have connected vinegar with dates of course for us filipinos we use vinegar mainly because of the acidity it is used for preserving our food i also came across the word kukra is a Sanskrit word meaning vinegar, and that's probably where we got suka. There are a few types of vinegar that we use in the Philippines. There's the sukang maasim, which is the sugar cane syrup mm-hmm. vinegar that we see that's popular in the Filipino stores, the datu puti one. Mm-hmm. There's also the sukang iloko, right. which is a darker one, and it's made from sugarcane wine or basi that's popular in the Ilocos region. There's the sukang paumbong, which is from the Nipa branch, and that is popular in Bulacan. There's the sukang tuba, which is from coconut sap, and that's very popular in the Quezon province. There's the sukang maasim, which is vinegar spiced with onions and peppercorns. And that's very popular in Iloilo. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, I came across pinakurat, which is sukang tuba spiced with chilies, ginger, and garlic. And that's popular in Iligan. So apparently, Filipinos do love anything sour, even before the Spaniards came. We use different ingredients to flavor our fish and our meats uh, using different leaves that have a sour taste to them. Right. And that explains why we also love this other iconic Filipino dish, sinigang. So sinigang is most similar to the Thai soup called tom yum, although they're still very distinctly different from each other. Right. Just as a point of reference. So like you said, there are different ways to make this dish sour. And the different bases are tamarind, which is the most common. There's guava. And my favorite, the kamyas. It's called tree cucumber in English. We used to have a tree of this in the province. <laughs> Cool. And we also used it as a staple for our childhood games. <laughs> like what? So whoever can eat it without puckering their face. <laughs> <laughs> 
is the winner. <laughs> and also, not just that, but how many of them you could eat. <laughs> and how many could you eat? I don't remember, but I was very competitive and a lot of my <laughs> contemporaries were boys. So I think I could eat a lot of them even now. <laughs> I just remember seeing dried kamyas. Didn't they dry them out in the sun? If there's a lot of fruit, then yes, we would dry them in the sun and use them later. Convenience rules of the day nowadays. Of course. And a lot of the things that we use in our kitchens right now are sinigang packets. No, I grind mine. (laughs) (laughs) You deserve a medal. And you can make any kind of sinigang. You could use it with meats like pork or beef. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you combine multiple meats in one sinigang. And you could also do it with fish or shrimp. And my favorite to cook, or that I like my mom to cook, (laughs) Mm -hmm. is the salmon head sinigang. Yes, that's also my favorite. Those are really delicious, especially in winter. Quite recently, there's a restaurant in the Philippines, and I cannot remember the name, so I apologize. But they introduced using corned beef. To the sinigang dish. My sister made her version of that and it's so good. So I think maybe the corned beef sinigang will also uh, work its way into eventually being called a traditional <laughs> Filipino sinigang. And the sinigang won an award recently. Taste Atlas, which is an international food and style website had mm-hmm. a contest and it won over 161 other dishes from different countries. Yes, I heard about that. It was so exciting to hear. Anytime our food is recognized, it makes you feel kind of proud. Since we've been talking about vinegar, I just wanted to quickly introduce our listeners to the bagoong. Yummy. So bagoong, for those who are not familiar, is fermented seafood. And there's a lot of different types of bagoong. The one that I am very partial to is the bagoong that's made in my province called the bagoong balayan. I love bagoong balayan. We ate it with grilled eggplant. You can eat it with anything. In fact... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was not uncommon for our family to eat it with rice, and that was it. <laughs> That's a meal. I can see myself enjoying that, absolutely. So there's different kinds of bagoong mm-hmm. and different types of seafood that you can make bagoong with. Some make it with those little shrimp, the krill. The bagoong balayan is actually made of anchovies. And others make it with small fish. So whatever is plentiful where you are, you can really make a bagoong just by fermenting seafood. And I don't know if you remember, Patch, when we were kids, there was a running joke in our group of friends. I mean, which one? (laughs) So when school is let out for the summer vacation, it was very typical for our group of friends to plan outings, etc. And I was never able to come because on the very first day of summer vacation, I was shipped to the province. All right. Yes, I remember that. 
And one of our friends would always say, oh, you're headed off to make bagoong again. <laughs> I wonder who said that. <laughs> the funny thing is, my grandma did make bagoong. <laughs> it was very common for me to see a lot of the clay jars out in mm-hmm. the sun with a lot of these anchovies fermenting and in different ages. When I was looking up the definition, there was a definition that came up. Pagoong is a Philippine fish paste that is very close to the ancient Roman garum. So apparently, the ancient Romans have their own version. They take small fish and oysters and salt them and preserve them in vinegars and peppers, which is essentially what we do. So what kind of bagoong-based dishes do you remember, Patch? The dish itself does not have the bagoong, but it's always served as a side to it, which, of course, is the kare-kare, that peanut stew, right? Right. And another dish is the pinakbet, which is vegetables, and you cook it with the bagoong. Yes, the version of the bagoong, which is more like a paste and not the Yes. Yep. Mm, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> I know. We can't not talk about another beloved Filipino dish, the Filipino spaghetti. <gasps> yes. I mean, beloved by us Filipinos. If you're not Filipino, you either love it or you hate it. I don't think there's an in-between. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the first time I ever had Filipino spaghetti was, of course, my mom made it, but our favorite was going to Makati supermarket to have that spaghetti. That's so iconic. The Filipino spaghetti has the spaghetti noodles, but the sauce is what makes it special because it's not made traditionally from tomato sauce, but its base is banana ketchup. Right. And it doesn't have meatballs. It has hot dogs, right? It also has ground pork, onions, garlic, etc. So there's no real recorded history of the origin of the Filipino spaghetti. But during World War II, when there was a shortage of tomatoes or tomato sauce in the Philippines, General Douglas MacArthur had a craving for spaghetti. And since there was this shortage of tomato sauce, the Filipinos supposedly used this banana ketchup and instead of using meatballs, used the chopped hot dogs. So that was when sweet Filipino spaghetti was born. Guess who invented the banana ketchup? <laughs> the Filipino. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so since we're talking about the Filipino spaghetti. <laughs> But more specifically, it was a woman. Yes. A woman is the star of this show. So the name of this person is Maria Orosa, and she was a Filipino food technologist. She was Mm -hmm. originally a student at the University of the Philippines, but was sent to the United States, the University of Washington, to study further as a food technologist. Uh She was actually offered a job there, but she chose to come back. And like you said, the origin is because of that shortage of tomatoes. So 
Orosa experimented with different ingredients to make another version of the tomato ketchup. And the winner was the banana. <laughs> Some other interesting facts about Orosa. She was offered a position in the state of Washington as a chemist. But she chose to come back to the Philippines in 1922 because she really felt strongly about helping the Philippines. So Maria Orosa also became a war hero. When World War II broke out, she knew that there would be a disruption in the food chain. And she was very instrumental in feeding the troops. It seems that she made many contributions to Filipino society in general. Yes, the inventor of the banana ketchup was also a war heroine. There's the famous banana ketchup brand, Mafran. Wait, are you team Mafran? Because I'm team Jafran. <laughs> well, do you know what the difference is between Mafran and Jafran? No, tell me. <laughs> so in 1942, right, mm -hmm. Magdalo V. Francisco invested in a factory and that factory mass-produced the Mafran banana ketchup. And Mafran was a contraction of his name, Magdalo plus Francisco. And this was in the midst of World War II. And he registered that under the Bureau of Patents. And that eventually became the Universal Food Corporation, or the UFC, that was formed in 1960. But there were conflicts that happened within the company. And this forced Francisco to leave the company and set up another company. And that company was called the Jufran Food Industries. Uh -huh. And that is the history of the conflict between Mafran and Jufran. Speaking of Filipino spaghetti... We have to talk about the popular Filipino food chain that also serves this on their menu, Jollibee. Yes, of course. So Jollibee, for those who don't know about it, is a food chain whose mascot is a bee, hence Jollibee. Mm -hmm. It's got 70 stores in the United States and 1,300 stores across the globe. And before we dig into the food, Jollibee has also been known to create tearjerker commercials, <laughs> commercials <laughs> that even right. foreigners love. I actually saw some reaction videos on YouTube where people are bawling their eyes out <laughs> after viewing some of these. In fact, I specifically avoid watching those because I do not want to be crying. <laughs> and also, it can suck you in because some of them have part one, part two. There's like, it's a series. It's a right? series and you can really get sucked into it. I'm not surprised if they eventually develop pay-per-view type of <laughs> Jollibee series. movies. <laughs> yes. So the founder of Jollibee is Stan Kakyong. The story of Jollibee is your typical rags-to-riches story, Carmina. He settled in Davao from China, and his background is in chemical engineering at the University of Santo Tomas. One day, he had a trip to an ice cream plant. That was around when he was 22, 
and it inspired him to purchase a Magnolia dairy ice cream franchise. Do you remember those Magnolia ice cream? Yes restaurants. Mm-hmm. So apparently he had a franchise in Cobao and another one in Capo. So he was serving ice cream, but he decided to serve other dishes on the side as well. So this included sandwiches, but eventually these sandwiches became more popular than the ice cream. And in 1978, he converted one of these ice cream shops to what is now known as Jollibee. I was wondering why B. Right. The B was chosen because it symbolized the hardworking Filipinos. So in that same year, when he stopped selling ice cream, he introduced the Yum Burger. Do you remember the Yum Burger? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. You're bringing me back. I know. And so he also introduced the famous Filipino spaghetti a year after that. And then the beloved Mm. Chicken Joy. In the 1980s, it quickly became a beloved fast food chain in the Philippines. And it beat its competition when McDonald's came into the picture. Through the years, Jollibee introduced many items in their menu, including peach mango pie. Oh my goodness. I love the peach mango pie too. And for anyone who's still a skeptic, Anthony Bourdain visited Jollibee twice as part of his show, Parts Unknown. Every single time, I think he expected to hate it, but left loving it. Carmina, Mm -hmm. are you a fan of the Marvel series? Oh, yeah. Have you ever heard of the Mole Man? No. Okay. So we're talking about Jollibee and what does that have to do with Marvel, right? Right. Jollibee partnered with Marvel to produce a comic book. It's an eight-page comic book. The story involves Marvel Avengers coming to the Philippines. And it starts off with Mole Man who is this villain who's trying to destroy the world. He encounters a Jollibee manager. (laughs) 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 And the Jollibee manager works with the Avengers team to save the world. I have to get my hands on that. (laughs) Good luck. If you get your hands on it, it's pretty expensive, I assume. That's impressive. Well, it is, and it's legitimately produced by Marvel, and even like the comic geeks are very impressed by it because they use veteran artists like Scott Koblish and Veronica Gandini are big names in the industry, and they worked in this comics. That's awesome. So, Carmina, now that I am sufficiently hungry and becoming hangrier by the minute i think it's time to end the episode (laughs) okay it's time to make the filipino spaghetti so that's our episode we hope you join us on our next trip thanks for listening to jeepney trip with carmina and patch logo designed by fred agkawili If you want to listen to more episodes, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts or wherever all fine podcasts are downloaded. We'd love to hear from you, so please rate and leave a review. 
Follow Jeepney Trip on Twitter and Instagram. If you have a question, email us at jeepneytrip at gmail.com.